Hey everybody, welcome to Pickled Parables. My name's Jesse. In today's episode, we have a friend coming to share about the mindset of prayer. Today, we get to hear from Grant Clay. Grant is the executive director of a teaching ministry called Ells International. He's an adjunct professor at Corbin University, and he's a good friend of mine. Today, Grant will share a lesson titled Paul's Priorities in Prayer. And Grant has taken inspiration from the book of Philippians. So I'll turn things over to Grant now and let him take it from here. When you pray, what do you most often find yourself praying for and about? What would you say is your most common prayer request? For many Christians, their most common prayer requests tend to revolve around the health and safety of their families, maybe of their children, perhaps of their parents or other loved ones. We pray for our churches. We pray for growth. We pray for fruit. We pray for our own lives, for the Lord's guidance, for his help, for his assistance, for his healing. But what I want to do today is look at what the Apostle Paul most prioritized in his prayers. What was the first thing on his mind? What was the prayer that was most commonly on his own lips for his people in his churches? What can we learn from Paul about the way that we should prioritize our prayers and the requests that we bring to God? To help us get a handle on what Paul prayed for and how he prays and what we can learn from him, we're going to look at the prayer that he prays in the book of Philippians in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. For those of you who are not familiar with the book of Philippians, it is one of his three prison letters along with Ephesians and Colossians. Most likely, it was written during his imprisonment in Rome, which you can read about at the end of the book of Acts in chapter 28. Here, Paul writes this letter as a thanksgiving and a report back to this church in Philippi that sent him some support and was concerned about him during his imprisonment. You can read about how the Philippian church got its beginnings in Acts chapter 16, when Paul and his partners went there to a city called Philippi to plant and start this church. Eventually, Paul's preaching lands him in prison, and this church deeply loved Paul and was worried about him, assuming that he was discouraged, lonely, and in need. So they sent him some kind of support. Now, what the support is exactly, we're not told. It might have been money, could have been food, could have been clothing, any number of things. Paul writes this letter back to them to let them know how he's doing and to thank them for their support. Upon receiving the letter, I'm sure they were surprised to find the things that Paul says and the emotional and spiritual state that he was actually in. You see, rather than being discouraged and despondent about being in prison, Paul is actually encouraged. For in prison, he sees God at work in and through him, leading other prison guards to faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, in the letter of Philippians alone, there are more references to joy, thanksgiving, and grace than any other letter in Paul's corpus in the New Testament. Now, we have to ask ourselves the question, why? Why would Paul, at what 
presumably would be one of the lowest points of his life. Why was he so encouraged? Why was he so joyful? Why did he find himself thanking God, rejoicing, and giving back to this church a report of how he was doing in some of the most positive terms that we read about in the Bible itself? This is utterly amazing that Paul the Apostle, the great missionary, is taken off the field unjustly imprisoned, and yet, rather than him being discouraged and depressed, he is full of joy and thanksgiving. To help us understand why Paul found himself in such a positive frame of mind and such a such a spiritually encouraging uh, uh, position, it is important to look at the way that he prays and specifically what he prays for. In verses 9 through 11 of chapter 1, Paul prays for the Philippian church. And here's what he says. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, if you look carefully at the way that Paul prays and what he prays specifically for, you will find that it is all centered around love. Paul prays that the love of the Philippian church would continue to grow in knowledge and discernment so that they may approve the things that are most excellent. Another way to translate that that phrase is that they may approve the things that are superior, of best, that are most worthy. Now, if if you notice the way that Paul writes this prayer out, he doesn't have a specific object for the love that he wants the Philippians to be growing in. In other letters that he has in the New Testament, the word, when he uses the word love, it always has a reference either to God or to other people. Most commonly, when he prays for the love of the church to be increasing, it's in relation to its other members. For example, you can see this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, where Paul prays that their love for one another would abound and grow more and more. But here he simply prays that their love, generally speaking, would increase and grow. So the question we have to ask is, well, love for who? Love for what? What kind of love is Paul wanting to see growing in this uh, in this fellowship of believers. So he goes on here then to say to say that he wants their their love to be informed by that which is most superior. And when they are loving the things that are best, that are superior or most excellent, Paul says that this will then lead them to becoming blameless and pure on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, when the Lord appears once again. And this will bear great fruit in their lives, all to the glory and praise of God. So, The next question I want to ask in relation to this is if we're going to understand what Paul 
means by their love abounding more and more, we should ask the question, what did Paul believe is best and most excellent and most worthy in the Christian life? If he wants their love to grow more and more and to be shaped by knowledge and discernment for the things that are superior, we need to know that what did Paul think that those things actually were? What were these superior, best, most excellent things that Paul wanted their love to be shaped by? Well, I think the answer to that question comes at the the end of this verse, the end of this prayer in chapters, in verses 10 and 11, where Paul says that he wants them to approve the things that are most superior, most excellent, and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, if you look at those, the, the words that are specifically there in the references, you'll find that Paul's prayer is centered in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. However, we need to be careful here because at first glance, it may look like that Jesus is the means by which we grow in love and approve the things that are superior. That Jesus is is like a conduit uh, that we that our prayers go through as they're offered up to God. What I want to suggest to you that Jesus isn't just simply a conduit for the prayers to go through, but Jesus is actually the goal, the purpose, the focus of the love that Paul wants them to have. What I want to argue is that the love that Paul wants them to abound in more and more with knowledge and discernment so they can approve the things that are superior and most worthy, this love is for the Lord Jesus. And the thing that is most worthy and most excellent that he wants them to be focusing on is the Lord Jesus himself. And in, according to Paul's logic in this prayer is that as they are focusing more and more on the Lord Jesus and growing in their love for the Lord Jesus, this will produce fruit in their lives through Jesus dwelling within them. And as they're producing spiritual fruit by focusing on loving the Lord Jesus and in serving the Lord Jesus and holding up the Lord Jesus as the thing that is most worthy and most excellent in, in all of life, this will produce fruit in their lives that leads to the glory and praise of God. So for Paul, the goal, the model, the standard, the vision for what is really best and most excellent in life is Christ himself. So let me put this... Um, Put this to the test by looking at the, the internal evidence from the letter of Philippians itself. Is there evidence in the letter itself that Jesus is the object of the love that Paul prays that the Philippians would have more and more of? Is there evidence that the Lord Jesus is in fact the thing that Paul says is most excellent, most worthy, and most superior in the Christian life? Is this what Paul actually intended? Well, let's um, let's put this Let's put this to the test. Look at verses 19 through 21 of chapter 1. Paul writes this. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, 
as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Now, here Paul is simply uh, weighing out the the two options before him. He is in prison. He doesn't know if he's going to be set free from prison or if he's going to remain in prison and be sentenced to be executed. And he says, I can't decide which, which option I prefer. I can't decide between the two. Do I stay in prison and become executed and then get to be with Christ, which is my ultimate desire? Or do I get set free and let out of prison so I can go and minister the Lord Jesus to my friends and see them grow in their faith? I can't decide which fate I would prefer, death and union with Christ or ongoing ministry and mission for the sake of Christ. Now, if you notice in these verses here, Paul is, of course, focused on one thing and one thing only, the Lord Jesus himself. Jesus is his prize. Jesus is the goal. Jesus is his motive for everything that he does. Jesus is worth everything to Paul. Now, notice in later on in chapter one, he He exhorts the Philippian church to walk worthy of Christ. And everything they do, they walk worthy of the Lord Jesus and worthy of the calling that God has given them, even if it means that they would have to suffer. And Paul says that it's a privilege to suffer for the Lord Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, Paul prays that they would have the mind of the Lord Jesus, that they would have the mind of Christ, Paul describes Christ himself and the mind that Christ had as one of self-giving. In verses 5 through 11, Paul talks about the story of the Lord Jesus who came from heaven to earth, humbled himself to the point of death on the cross, giving up his privileged position at God's right hand. He becomes a, a servant, a slave of God, and it humbles himself by becoming a human being, fully, fully human, while at the same time also being fully God. Yet Jesus doesn't use his divine prerogatives and the great privilege and status that he has at God's right hand to serve himself, but rather he serves humanity by becoming a human being, being obedient to his heavenly Father to the point of death and dying on the cross for our sins and being raised again, and being now the name upon which every name in heaven on and on earth is his name. Jesus is superior and Lord of all because of what he has done for us. In Philippians 2, verse 21, Paul says that we are to have the interests of Christ. He's talking about his friend Timothy, and he says, everyone is interested in doing their own thing, but not Timothy, Timothy is interested in the things of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I have no one else like him. In Philippians 3, verses 8 through 11, Paul talks about Jesus as a treasure, saying that he he longs for resurrection so he can be with Christ. 
He says that all the privileges that he's had in his life, being of the tribe of Benjamin, being a Pharisee, being a Jew of Jew, being perfect in accordance with the Mosaic law. Paul says that all of that, all of those privileges are are like dung to him. It's like a pile of manure. And he says that I count Jesus more gaining Christ, more more superior to all of these things. He said he's lost everything and gained Christ. Then he says he longs to know Christ and the power of the resurrection so he can attain uh, his goal of being in the presence of Jesus. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, he calls the church to stand firm in Christ. In Philippians 4, 4, he calls them to rejoice in Christ. In Philippians 13, he says he wants them to be strengthened in Christ. And then finally, in Philippians 4, 8 through 9, Paul simply says that the Lord Jesus, that God, through the Lord Jesus, will abundantly provide for them everything they need. And then he ends this this wonderfully rich letter by saying this, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So, if we look at the letter of Philippians itself, We find Jesus all over it. We find devotion to the Lord Jesus all over it. Paul exalts Jesus. Paul lifts up Jesus. Paul desires to be with Jesus and produce fruit for the sake of Jesus. Jesus is everywhere. Paul says he he wants to die so he can be with Jesus. Jesus is everything to Paul. So I think the kind of love that Paul is praying that these Philippians uh, believers at this, in this Philippian church would have is love for the Lord Jesus. When he wants them to, to focus on the things that are superior, the things that are best, he's talking about Jesus himself. When he's talking about spiritual fruit being produced through Jesus for the glory of God, this, of course, is simply evidence that these believers are true, dedicated followers of Jesus himself. Jesus is everything. I want to read the Amplified version of this prayer in the Amplified Bible. For those of you that aren't familiar with the Amplified Bible, it's a translation of the Bible that uh, amplifies the language. So it's not a literal word-for-word translation, but rather it's a it's, it's, it's taking the main idea of the text and, and amplifying it and emphasizing it. And so while it's not, um, again, it's not an accurate translation in terms of word-for-word accuracy, uh, the Amplified Bible is a wonderful tool to, to read for devotional purposes. So after you've done your study of a text, I would encourage you to look at the Amplified Bible and just see, see how, they, um, how they nuance the passage and maybe add additional insight to it. In Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11, here is the Amplified Bible's version of the prayer that Paul prayed. And this I pray, that your love may abound more and more, displaying itself in greater depth and real knowledge and in practical insight, so that you may learn to recognize and treasure what is excellent, identifying the best and distinguishing moral differences, and that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ actually living lives that lead others away from sin, 
filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God, so that his glory may be both revealed and recognized. Now listen to the Amplified Bible's version here of this prayer. Again, you find the Lord Jesus at the very center. And I like the language they use in verse 10, where they say that you may learn to recognize and treasure what is excellent, identifying the best and distinguishing moral differences. I like this word treasure that they use because that reminds us that Jesus is for a believer is not just Lord and Savior, but he is treasure, our ultimate treasure. So in conclusion, friends, this prayer that Paul prays introduces us to some new and different priorities than many of us might have when we actually pray. It introduces us to the priority of love in our lives, not just love for other people, but love for the Lord Jesus himself. This prayer reminds us that our minds and our hearts need to be fixed on the things that are eternal and of eternal value. And the thing that is of most eternal value is the Lord Jesus himself. He is most excellent. He is most worthy. He is superior. And when our hearts and our minds and our affections are centered on the Lord Jesus, Paul promises here that this will produce great fruit in our lives. God's plan for our lives is that we would be fruit-bearing Christians, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And if you look at the Spirit's qualities that Paul lists out in Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, self-control, all of those are attributes of God himself and attributes of the Lord Jesus. Spiritual fruit is none other than the character of the Lord Jesus being produced in our lives. That's the kind of fruit that glorifies God. And that is exactly what Paul wants for these believers in this church in Philippi. And what Paul wants for our lives as well. That we produce the fruit of the Lord Jesus, the character of the Lord Jesus in our lives. That we would love like him and live like him. Not by our own strength, but by the strength that he provides us through our union with him. So this holiday season... As you're preparing for Christmas and preparing for interactions with family, um, as you are going about um, your, your business, remember the Lord Jesus. Not just that he was a baby born of a virgin, but that he is the Lord himself. And he's not just simply the Lord himself, but he is to be the treasure of our lives. The greatest gift God gives to humanity is Christ. And we are called to treasure Christ as the greatest gift ever given to us. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. He is our treasure. So as you pray, and as you pray for your friends, as you pray for your family, as you pray for other loved ones, as you pray for your churches, pray that they would abound in love, love for the Lord Jesus. That is what is most superior, most excellent, most important. May the fruit of Jesus be in our lives and in our prayers, and may that fruit be evident in all that we do and say forever and ever to God's glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to Pickled Parables. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us, subscribe, and share with your friends. If you're interested in more things like this, check out our secondary podcast called My Dusty Bible. 
To stay up to date with all things Parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries and visit our website at parableministries.com. Parable is a volunteer organization and we would deeply appreciate your prayers. Thank you for joining us today. We'll catch you later.